this this morning is that these two things revival which is the awakening of our hearts and reformations which is the transformation of our minds and the world around us these two things are secondary to the primary thing which is a love relationship with jesus because that relationship will last forever that that relationship doesn't matter what happens doesn't matter what comes right that thing will last forever you see a lot of times sports athletes or very wealthy business people they kind of hit the epitome of their life and they get to the top of the mountain they're like what now i've reached it all what am i about to do now right do you know why a lot of people in that time of a big crisis is because they thought their output determines their satisfaction which all of life our satisfaction is found in god not by what we output and a lot of times we need to understand this as we talk about this topic so this morning i want to kind of build what i'm saying on a piece of scripture out of Exodus 34 verse 6. Exodus 34 verse 6 is this piece, it's a phenomenal piece of scripture. It is the most quoted piece of scripture throughout the whole of the rest of the Bible, is that piece of scripture. And it is the first time where God truly reveals what he is like, right, outside of his name, right? So he, he says, Moses says, God, like, can I see your glory? He says, no man can see my glory and live, but I'll have my goodness pass in front of you. And then he passes in front of Moses and he says, he speaks to me, he says, this specific, he says, um, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Now it's very interesting that the first way, okay, God speaks to Moses and the first thing he says, I am like, doesn't say holy. I am like, doesn't say all powerful. I am like, doesn't say like the righteous judge. He says, I am like, and the first word he says is compassionate. Now, I I want you to think through the shock that Moses had. Okay? If you go on in that word, there's a word there that loving, it it says loving, compassionate, loving, da-da-da. That word love there, it's very hard to translate that word. In all of the Hebrew Bible, that word in Hebrew is the word has said. And I'm going to quickly jump there and I'm going to go back to compassion. That word there, has said, means sticky love, loyal love, gracious love, faithful love, miracle working love. I can literally keep on going. I think there's 193 different loves that it means. Because love is not enough. It's a love that does something. Right? And it's very interesting. There's, there's a theologian that writes about this compassion and this, this sticky love. I like that phrase, sticky love. A love that sticks to you. It doesn't let you go, right? And it talks about this love and he says, it's so interesting in the, in the Middle Eastern culture where Moses would have heard this, it was not a strange thing that God would have been holy or majest, majestic. It was a very strange thing that a God would call himself loving. Very strange. You don't read anything in all of ancient Middle Eastern literature. Somebody writing a, a psalm to Molech. A psalm to Baal. A psalm to Asherah. Oh, oh, Asherah, the most loving goddess. They don't say that. Why? Because none of those gods revealed themselves as loving. They revealed themselves as holy, which is demons. We all know that. They revealed themselves as powerful, but nowhere in their nature and character, nowhere in their internal makeups where these gods ever expressed as loving and you know why because there's only one true god and he is the god of love 
And so when Moses meets this God and says, I'm compassionate, like that should rock your world. Because so many times when we think about the God that we serve, we think about holy, righteous, scary man, right? But it's kind of interesting that he doesn't feel the need to protect that when he first comes. He goes like, I can't show you that part. It will kill you because I'm so intense, right? But let me come and show you what I can. And the first thing he reveals is compassion. It's very interesting. Now that word compassion in the Hebrew, it is the word for nurture and it's the same word that literally is the word for womb for like a mother's womb which is a very interesting thought right so then the way that is understood in the in 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 the bible is that compassion has to do not just with love it has to do with a love that nurtures and cares okay so this is the liefde wat so gaan, ek hou van jou, harkie, swinkies, emojis op WhatsApp nie. Okay? This is the liefde wat soos, ek hou van jou, en ek sal jou binnen my draw van 9 maanden. Okay, ek sal dat jy my lichaam verander, ek sal dat jy my wakker hou, okay, my babiekie is 11 maanden oud. Bikie meer skills as, 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 as dat ek had het 11 maanden vroeger. Okay, so, this compassionate love is not just an emotional feeling, it is an emotion that moves to action. Right? Now it's very interesting, there's a few places in the Old Testament, and then one place in the New Testament, I just want to read this to us because I want to build on this. It talks about this. First Kings, and you don't have, don't turn there because I'm just quickly going to paraphrase it. First Kings, you can write the, the reference down, you can, you can read it later. 3.16 to 27, it's when Solomon comes and the two mothers, you all know that story, Right? The one mother, they shared a place late at night, suffocated the baby and it died. She came and she swapped the child around. She came, to, she came to Solomon and said, this woman stole my child. And then Solomon came with a sword and um, what do you call it? Said, hey, um, cut the baby in half, give each mother a half. And when you read it, to read you what it says, it says, he says, cut the child in two and give one half to the one and one after the other. Listen now carefully. This is a very important piece. The woman whose son was alive, listen now, was deeply moved out of love for her son and said to the king, Lord, please give her the child. Now here's, the, here's where the word, the same word compassion in the Hebrew's word was used. She was deeply moved out of love. That's the same word in the Hebrew. So that word compassionate used in Exodus is the same word used when the mother was like, rather give my child to another woman. I'm so loved this, rather give her to, just don't kill her. Right? The next piece of scripture is Isaiah, right? And in Isaiah 49, 15, it says this, can a mother, God speaks now, can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child that she has born? Though she might forget, I will never forget you, says the Lord. It goes and says, see, I've engraved you in the palm of my hand. You are forever set before me. Right, so my, again, I'm a new dad. My, babe, my, my daughter Anastasia is 11 months old, almost a year old. And he says, can a mother forget her child? Michelle will forget me before she will get, forget Anastasia. Right? Like, there's no way Michelle will forget my daughter. 
right? He says, even in the extreme, if a mother will forget her child, God makes a promise, says, I will never forget you. Now, that I will never forget, it's the same root word, that compassion word. He says, my emotion towards you is this nurturing of who I am. He says, and then what's the action? I've engraved you on my hand. It's not just a mental ascent. It's a thing where God says, I have done something because of this nurturing, loving side of who I am. Now, we move forward and we see something. Jesus is the express image of the will of the Father, right? We all, amen? Okay. That's, we all, yeah. And we see something in Luke 13, which is really interesting. Luke, Luke 13, Jesus speaking, he says, he's prophesying over Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You have killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you. Listen to this. Remember, Jesus is the heart of the Father. He expresses, How often I have longed to gather you, to gather your children as a hen gathers chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. How long I have, how often I have longed. The same word. Jesus says, I have longed to gather you. Jesus is the heart of the Exodus 34 God. He is the express image of that God. Jesus is God's longing in the flesh. And he says what? He says, how often have I longed, had compassion, loved so deeply to just gather you with me. He didn't say strike you down. He didn't say judge you. Now will he judge? Yes, at the end of the age he will. But that's an expression of love. That's for another sermon, right? But you need to hear the same heart the whole time. The father in Exodus. The son in Luke. And then in Galatians we read something really interesting. And I, wanna, I want you to hear this. But the fruit of the spirit is what? Love. The first thing that's mentioned is not holy living. It's the fruit of the spirit's indwelling in our lives is that there is love manifesting on the inside. That there's something about this God of Exodus 34, the same God that moved that mother to say, hey, I'd rather have my child. The same God that said, I will never forget you even if a mother would. The same God says, I wish to gather you, has now not become the God on the mountain, the God in the flesh, but now the God on the inside is saying, I'm making you into love. I'm making you into this type of person. All of you with me? So when we talk about revival and reformation, we need to understand the reason that we are change agents, the reason that we are those who God made to actually bring life, to actually bring change, is because we are made in the image of God. We're meant to be like our Father. Right? We're meant to be compassionate. We're meant to be sticky in love. We're meant to be those people who would like just be like the God that we serve. That says, even if our government forgets you, we won't forget you. We're the church. Your brokenness, we won't leave it. Your poverty, we won't overlook it. No, no, no. We won't forget you. We're compassionate. We're moved. This morning... As we start there, the first service, I saw a little bit different than between the services. Like, I think I should change a little bit the angle because it might come over condemning. 
here, here, here's what you need to understand before I change gears. As, as I change gear to talk about the danger of not being this, you need to understand. As an image bearer, your normal is compassion. And whenever you're not compassionate, you're not yourself. It's not something you work up, work up, it's something you work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because through your salvation, something was worked into you. The spirit was worked into you. And so now in faithful, loving kindness, in obedience and devotion to Jesus, I work out this gift, right, which is the spirit working in me, creating love, creating compassion, making me like my father. The most dangerous thing on earth wasn't that Jesus just came, is that there's now millions of people all across the earth who have the same spirit that Christ had, who's working in them the same power that worked in Christ and raised him from the dead. And now we are dispersed all over the earth with the same heart that our Father had in Exodus 34, verse 6. Does it make sense? Am I met me? Okay, I get a little bit more than a little bit more response. Okay, thank you. So this big is. Okay, so it's going to be a little bit of a Okay, so it's a... Yes, I love you, thank you. You made deep rock, not deep so well. So, I want to read us a quote from John Piper, and it's a powerful quote, because I think that like, in this one section here, we're made in the image of the Father, we're made to be compassionate, we're made to be loving, we're made to be kind, Right? But on, on this side here, we know we're living in a world right now that's raging against this fruit of the Spirit living on the inside, being like our Father. And John Piper has this phenomenal quote. He says, the greatest enemy of the hunger for God is not poison, but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but the endless nibbling at the table of the world. It is not the X-rated video, but the prime time dribbling of, of trivial things we're drinking every night before we go to bed. If you don't feel a strong desire for the manifestation of God's glory, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world that your soul is stuffed with small things and there's no room for the great. And this morning... I want to talk about the danger of apathy. Apathy, the, the, the origin, comes from a Greek word that means living a life, apathy, without suffering. Now think about this. We spoke about this compassion in God. When did Jesus do his most powerful miracles? Just after he says, and he had compassion on them. The most power broke out. The craziest things happened. Why? Because it was this nurturing, mothering love that moves to action. Like we've all heard stories of like a child being stuck underneath a car and this tiny woman picks up a car. There's something in people that come alive when that love takes all of you. And the, this love, this compassion, this way we're made to reflect what God is like. The greatest danger of this love that changes the world, that brings revival and reformation. The greatest danger of this love. It's a simple word called apathy. It is a life that does not want to suffer. 
And it, it manifests in a few different ways. And I'm going I'm to kind of stay on the train of this quote of John Piper. But it, it, is, it is a life that has been numbed. It's a life that has been dulled by earthly pursuits that are good things, but are, that, that are not necessarily God things. Right? And, and I use the great example. Every place has its own things, right? This place, honestly, I would say probably the biggest thing in this area that will create apathy in you is how beautiful it is outside. I told Om with this yesterday, like we went for a crazy run. Like I'm, you can see I'm a runner. Like I run ultra marathons all the time, right? <laughs> I weigh 117, I don't, I promise you. Um, <clears throat> but I went and did a 5K with Amo and his 12-year-old daughter almost beat me. I ran myself to death to make sure she doesn't beat me. <laughs> She's had too much pride in me. I was like, my max heart rate at the end of the run was like 205. I was like, I will not let you beat me. <laughs> um, but, but, but I'm looking around as I'm running. I'm going like, I'll run four times a day. And I'll like reply emails through talking through Siri. And do work that it's so beautiful. Now, the, there's nothing wrong with the beauty. But that beauty becomes a lullaby that sings a song of comfort. That numbs us for the suffering that's around us. Right? Sometimes it is like our, our schedules are so busy. And your busyness becomes a lullaby that silences you to open your eyes for the busyness, for the suffering that's around you. Right? Sometimes it is disappointment. Right? Sometimes it's like, I've tried so many times to change. And this disappointment becomes a lullaby, becomes a song that sings to sleep this heart that is willing to suffer for breakthrough in different areas. And this morning, when we talk about revival and reformation, the cry, the war cry that I want to give out is like, guys, we're made in the image of the Father to be compassionate lovers. But first to receive that compassionate love from Him. And then to be able to open truly our eyes to the suffering around us and live lives that are not apathetic but are moved by suffering. That we can see the people, guys, honestly, and I said this in the first service, I want to ask you, how many of us, when we drive past somebody begging, you're like this, right? Right, nee, dankie. En ons, ons wil nie opkijk nie, van as ek weet, as ek in jou oor kijk, dan, dan raak het jou, nee? Something happens, if I look at you, because you're human. But I'm not willing to suffer with you. It touches you, Right? And I feel this morning like there's an invitation for us to be like ourselves. There's, there's an invitation for us to walk again to this place of being compassionate. Like our Father is, like He showed us Jesus is, and like the Spirit is that works within us. So that when we live this type of compassionate life, we're actually consistently waging war against the Spirit of the age, which is apathy. Which is we need more things, we need more money, we need more, more business. To silence me from the suffering around me. My success will drown out other people's pain. That, that's the spirit of the age. Four hour work week. Let's just get happy, get going. Because then the world is right. But here's the problem. Because you're made in the image of the Father and love has taken a hold of you. You cannot live in your castle 
or in your high fenced world, right, and actually be untouched. There's a deep discomfort in us because we realize there's people around us that don't have this. And the, the call to be re- revivalist, the call to be reformers, is the call first and foremost to be lovers. Is the call to be those that is, that is willing to look at pain and suffering first a lot of times within ourselves and allow what God is to come and move you and change you. And then secondly, to look at the world around us and go like, God, help me to bring a difference here. Help me to change this. Help, help me to just do the simple thing. I use this example in the first service. And I spoke about um, me and Michelle. We have a phenomenal lady that works at our house. Um, we moved into a new home. And me and Eva just moved to a new place. But she came and worked at our house. And she's amazing. Josephine is her name. She's amazing. My wife is a lawyer. And she's pretty wild perfectionist in all the right sense. And so it's always been a little bit hard to find somebody that clean the house well enough for my wife. Bless you, honey. I love you. That makes you great at your job. Um, But this lady is phenomenal. One day she came home and she had a blue eye. So now Michelle is busy and I'm busy. And here's what you're thinking. I need a clean house and I don't want to have hassles. Otherwise, I could have done it myself. Right? And I can hear the dienst say, I can say, I can say, but deep in us, almost hard is, is, I betaal jou salaris om een dienst te lever. Hoekom? Want ek, ek wil nie die huis selfs kon maak. Want ek is bezig, so moet my nie, nie bezig maak. Maar die realiteit van compassion is, is dat ons sien iemand met die blauwe oog, en ek kan nie so gaan, man, ek hoop ek het nie gesien. So Michelle takes a lunch one day, and um, she just sits down with her. Michelle's a, a lawyer, she specializes in, she did tons of stuff with family law and domestic violence stuff. And she explains simply to her, hey, next time when your husband gets drunk, don't do these things. Don't hassle him. Do this, this, this. The Saturday, she texts me. She's like, hey, Michelle. The voice note, so happy. Man, I followed your advice. Like, I just kind of ignored him when he was drunk. I went to the room. I helped him get in bed. Da, 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 da. And he didn't hit me. It was amazing. Thank you. Now, that should touch something here. So then we text my parents because she's so willing. She's amazing. Honestly, she's amazing. Hey, my parents are marriage counselors. Do you guys want to help her and her husband? Yes. So my parents go to them. They help in their marriage counselors, help them with their marriage. Right now, whenever he gets drunk, she tells him, It's my dad. Then he just goes, climbs in bed and sleeps, right? Then we kind of help them build a little extra area in their home because if it's bigger, a lot of times studies show if there's more space in the home, domestic violence happens less. So we build them in the shack a little extra piece. Guys, you know, like all this combined probably took us 15 hours. Max, maybe 20 hours. Let's say it took us 20 hours. Let's be wild. Let's say it took us 40 hours. So we spent 40 hours of our lives because we're made in the image of the Father who is also grieved by her black eye, who also wants her life to be good, right? And we spent this time because we're ourselves and we saw somebody's life dramatically changed. And this morning, what I want to leave before us as South Africans sitting in this room thinking about revival and reformation, the challenge that I want to put before us is can we be ourselves? Right? Can, can we be a people that lives from a deep conviction that we're meant to be compassionate, 
We're meant to be loving. Why? Because God was that first towards us. Right, guys, the only reason I can be compassionate is because I have felt his compassion. While yet I was a sinner. When I was in my greatest weakness, my greatest shame, my biggest, deepest darkness, Jesus stepped into my life and said, Gabe, I pick you. And it messed me up forever. Right, and not just that, he consistently kept on doing it. Right, he saved me, which is justification. He is saving me, which is um, sanctification. And he will be saving me forever, which is glorification. So there's a consistent experience of in my weakness, God is expressing compassion towards me. From that place, we get the privilege to live lives that give people access to our God through how we live. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he says, for love compels me, right? And then he says, it is because one died so that I might live. So now I know I do not live my life to unto myself but unto him right and then it's actually interesting it goes on it says we do not see people according to the flesh right but now we are ministers of reconciliation and then this is the scariest part of the whole piece of scripture it says as if it is as if god is making his appeal through us so god is making his court case through how we move through love through reconciling other people, not just to him, but to each other. In the morning, when we come in this dienst, I want a challenge for you to lose. Is your life dictated by the compassion that comes from how God believes? Or is our life dictated by apathy? Because we are not willing to die the pain within ourselves to hear of the pain of the people in the world around us. What in our own life are we driven by a need to avoid pain and to avoid the brokenness around us? Or are we like Jesus who's, in whose image we are made who are incarnational? What does it Jesus is born in the form of the people in our brokenness. And he did it that the king got good on him. We are made in the same way. Waar ook hulle blij, waar ook hulle werk, wat ook hulle doen, om in die gebrokenheid in te gaan. En Jesus kon in een massive kasteel met duisende soldaten gebore. En waar is hy gebore? In een stal met dieren. In die gemors. Hoekom? Vanuit gewijs. Liefde lyk soos hier. Liefde ontsnap in die pijn. Liefde gaan sit in die pijn. En loop saam met hulle.